listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. According to the American Academy of Family Physicians, there are more than 50 cytochrome P450 enzymes or CYP enzymes that are, but there are just six of them that metabolize about 90% of the drugs. One of the most significant one is the CYP2D6. In an article on Helio written by one of my favorite pharmacists, Dr. Jay Patel, who actually had the pleasure of having on my show a few episodes ago, it's a must-read article, by the way. I will provide the link in the show notes. He talks about 2D6, CYP2D6 um, metabolizing many of the SSRIs, SNRIs, TCA, that are the treatment options for depression. The clearance of TCAs, for example, is about 50 to 67% lowered in CYP2D6 poor metabolizers compared to normal. So that's huge when we talk about adverse effects. Hi, everyone. My name is Banas Sarami, the host to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the most amazing, largest pharmacy podcast in the nation in one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm a medical science liaison for, for a PGX company called ID Genetics, where I develop clinical contents, educating clinicians on the value of PGX and give clinical guidance. Also provide personalized mentorship sessions for pharmacists that want to create their own PGX path. I'm very excited about my guest today, Christine Ashcraft. She's a molecular biologist by training and is a former CEO and founder of Uscript, which actually was um, acquired recently by uh, Invitae. She has worked in pharmacogenomics space since 2000 and was recently named one of the 25 leading voices in precision medicine. Christine has authored multiple publications on both the clinical and economic benefits of PGX testing. She serves on the steering committee of Stripe, which is the FDA collaborative committee for PGX. She has been interviewed by numerous media, including New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, NBC Nightly News, and has spoken on American Society of Human Genetics and numerous precision medicine um, conferences. And now she's speaking on one of the top 20 genomics podcasts in the globe, PGX for Promises podcast. Thank you, Christine, for taking time to be on the show. I know we also have Tom Carlson, but I'll let you further um, introduce yourself, Christine, and uh, introduce Tom. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Um, As you had mentioned, I've been in pharmacogenomics since 2000, and I think I have been having uh, conversations with Tom almost since the beginning. Uh, He is uh, both a patient and a fierce advocate for pharmacogenomics because it's impacted both his care and the care of his family members. Um, so substantially that 
Um, I can sense his frustration through uh, email chains and uh, other modes of communication over the years, but I thought it would be important to have that patient voice on this um, podcast and really thank you for uh, inviting both of us. But Tom, with that, if you could just share a little bit about uh, your exposure to pharmacogenomics and how it's impacted um, your family and, and yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. This is something I'm very passionate about because it has made a huge impact in my life and uh, many of my family and friends. Um, I was struggling with intermittent depression in, in, uh, in 2005, I went to the Mayo Clinic and they uh, did some CYP450 tests, which I'd never heard of before. And the results came back that I was a poor metabolizer of the CYP2D6, specifically Stardot4, Stardot4, meaning I had no metabolizing power. And uh, it turned out the medication I was on was actually making me worse. And so they put me on uh, a different medication that was metabolized by a different enzyme. I've had no depression since. Um, the Mayo Clinic was, since I'm in Minnesota, Mayo Clinic wanted my family to participate in a study to see how the enzymes were passed on to our family. And so they tested some more of us and as you would expect, uh, my parents both had problems, as most people do. Um, in my mom's case, she uh, was an intermediate metabolizer of the enzyme that metabolizes warfarin. And as her health changed, she went in to get on her first uh, batch of warfarin and uh, I told her now make sure your physicians and nurses know your intermediate metabolizer which she may or may not have but bottom line is um, uh, they gave her the warfarin as you probably know they test for warfarin days later well it turns out when she went back she was given five times too much and so obviously her her uh, metabolizing problem impacted that and they told her literally, you know, go home and don't move, you could bleed to death. And uh, actually we had a neighbor of ours had to have a fall and bleed to death that was on warfarin. So it's a very serious thing. My dad um, it was a poor metabolizer of the, he had the exact same problem I did. Incidentally, he's, uh, his parents were from Sweden I did some research on the internet and something like 28% of Scandinavians have a problem with the CYP2D6. Um, my dad had a routine hernia surgery. It was the same thing. I told him, make sure your physicians know you're a poor metabolizer. They didn't know anything about it. They put him on, I believe, oxycodone. Um, my mom called. She says, get over here quick. There's something wrong with your dad. He had a host of different problems. I said, what did they put him on? I went on the internet, it was oxycodone. And I called Genelex, the CEO came to the phone. Um, I literally thought my dad was gonna die right in front of me. And we just sweated this out, waiting for him to, to get better, which he eventually did. Um, so, you know, just in those three, incidents, I, I realized what a huge deal this was. And um, 
that was in 2008. So I've been extremely frustrated and frankly angry that this has taken so long to catch on in the medical community. And I, I just can't understand it, uh, especially when I know physicians are required to get continuing medical education every year. Um, I've talked to at least 40 physicians and pharmacists over the last you know, several years. I counted it up one day, and only one of them had ever heard of it. Um, so um, anyway, to, to take it a step further, um, some other cases where knowing my, my 2D6 problem has helped is um, I was having irregular heartbeat and I was in a, the, the cardiologist was gonna put me on a beta blocker. So I went on the internet and I was like, hey, this, this beta blocker is not a good one for me. The uh, physician, wouldn't even talk to me about it. So I changed doctors and uh, it turned out I was on the wrong allergy meds for my enzyme problem, which was probably giving me an irregular heartbeat, which changed. So I also have a, uh, uh, I found out I was on the wrong allergy medication. And once I switched, uh, you know, that problem went away. Uh, I've had two hips replaced. And the 2D6 is huge for opioids. And so knowing that helped me to get, a, get the uh, correct pain relief after I had the surgeries. Um, for the anesthesia, um, the fact that I knew my enzyme situation helped the uh, anesthesiologist prescribe the right medication or the right anesthesia. And as a FYI, I've had uh, two friends pretty much flatlined during surgeries from being on the wrong anesthesia. Again, they probably had enzyme problems. Um, the other problem I had is I, like most older men, I have an enlarged prostate and I was able to go on the internet and help my urologist get on the right medication. And I was the first patient he'd ever had that, that knew anything about this. Um, I think it's important too, I talk about some friends that have had problems. I've had uh, two friends that have had hips and knees replaced where they got no pain relief um, because they were on the wrong medications. And it not only was terrible pain, but they had to be hospitalized longer, which cost them thousands of dollars. Um, I've had, uh, uh, one friend that's sadly literally paralyzed from bad prescribing. Um, he's in wheelchair bound. I've got two friends that were sick most of their lives. And I encouraged them for years to please get tested. They finally got tested. And it turns out that they were, um, they couldn't metabolize folate, vitamin B, which is an essential a nutrient, and um, so basically they they had they couldn't methylate, and um, learning this helped them greatly improve their health. I think one of them uses a skin patch now, um, 
and they're they're very very thankful that they got tested and got on top of this. Sadly, uh, one of them was a pharmaceutical rep, and she'd never heard of of enzyme testing. Um, I could give you a lot of other examples too, but I think you got the message. Um, yes. So I'll I'll hold back. <laughs> oh no, we don't want you to hold back, Tom. I appreciate you sharing all that. That you know a ton of information. So I know you said when you were um, with telling the doctors about how to maybe change your therapy. Once were the doctors receptive to what you were saying? Did they really? believe you or I wonder what the what their impression or feedback was when you told them that well um that's a real good question and I'm very respectful of doctors with their uh their passion for their profession how hard they worked how smart they were uh, are I never try to make a physician feel bad or guilty that they don't know this information. But the way I explain it to them, as I say, you've known for years that people react differently to medications, right? Yes. And then I said, well, this isn't your fault, but um, it's been known for years that people have a different genetic makeup. There's some simple tests you can take and you can find out exactly uh, what medications will work best for your patients. And uh, I'd say all of them except for one have been very thankful. I told them that they, they didn't know. And I've also had this, these conversations with, with uh, hospital pharmacists where they literally start sending another pharmacist in to hear, hear my spiel. And I've had uh, the same conversation with um, a pain specialist at a local hospital when I had my first hip replacement done. They sent me in to talk to him and he said, well, you know, I, I'm just new to this. I, I think you know more about this than I do. So anyway, what I tell the physicians is, um, this is proven science. It's evidence-based medicine. Uh, I give them the name of uh, the URL for Genelex's website, and I tell them about the Uscript software. And uh, in several cases, I've referred uh, many of my friends and family to, to Genelex for, for testing. And um, it's, it's, they've all been except for one case, all been very uh, open-minded and thankful. I, I told them this, and I, I would say from the physician's standpoint, they were kind of disappointed that a lay person like me had to be the one to tell them this, that this, this was available. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you're putting the word out there as you see um, the clinicians. I think from what I hear with the clinicians, and I think, uh, Christine, maybe you can jump in and answer too what you hear. It's kind of a different language they have to learn. Um, I know there's probably classes or CEs or whatever they can take, but also understanding that language when they actually get the report, kind of implement that in the whole um, clinical uh, recommendations they're making is kind of a little difficult. And then maybe using the right um, 
you know, or company or organization to have that system embedded in their EHR or EMR where it actually pops up as an alert. So all of that, I think it's, um, and, you know, again, having the time to spend with the patient to go over it after they understand it. So all that piece, I think, is a lot of um, pieces that need to be put together for a clinician, maybe be more comfortable um, with the results. And what do they do with that information? I think that's the, that's the key. But, you know, a lot of them, and including pharmacists, may not already know about PGX. So it, it's a lot of clinical education that needs to be made if, like, you know, if, I, if I can just jump in for one second. No, go ahead, please. Um, I used to be able to access the Uscript software, and they have made it so simple for people to use. I just don't think it takes that much training. I mean, all you got to do is get tested. You put your enzyme situation in, you put what medications you're on. Um, it'll show you a, a color-coded chart if you're in any dangerous areas. Um, if uh, it turns out you are, it takes you to uh, another place where you can get alternative medications for the, for the same medical condition that would work better with your enzymes. You can plug those in and it'll you can update your uh, your search engine, if you will, and it'll show you how your body will react. And it's even got, uh, you can click a button and it'll take you out to the latest research on PubMed. So I, my frustration as a patient is, this stuff isn't that hard to learn. Why is it taking so long? Uh, I first read about this on the cover of Business Week in 2005. That's 17 years now that, uh, you know, that's a long time for a, to, to, to not have people up to speed on, on the latest technologies. And I, I think I can speak to a little bit about what I've learned over the course of over 20 years in the space. So I'm, I'm a molecular biologist by training, so I'm, I'm more come at things from the genetics angle. And I really wasn't that familiar with um, pharmacists and their training until I got into the space. And when I learned about how much time they spend in school learning about drug interactions and pharmacokinetics. So for me, it just is a natural extension of the training for pharmacists, like pharmacokinetics and pharmacogenetics is essentially the same thing. If you're a poor metabolizer, it's like you're taking a potent inhibitor that never goes away of that same enzyme. This is um, how the FDA um, trains pharma to create new medications. They're like, give them these probe drugs that are potent inhibitors to make them as if they're a poor metabolizer. Um, like that has existed for decades. So it's, it's a very natural extension and they have far, far more training in how medications work in the body than a physician does. Physicians are very good at diagnosing diseases. And I think they then go, okay, if I've diagnosed this disease, this is drug A I give. And if that doesn't work, I give drug B. And if that doesn't work, I give drug C. So we are going at it. I think part of the, the reason that it's hard is that that is the way we have practiced medicine for a long time. We haven't practiced precision or personalized medicine. We've um, practiced like medicine, like here's what we do for everybody, step A. Here's what we do for everybody, step B. Um, and so this is counter to a lot of um, how people have been trained. 
I am pretty excited that pharmacists more and more are getting included as part of the care team, uh, especially in hospitals. I know uh, Banaz mentioned uh, Jay Patel. Uh, I know that pharmacists are very involved in a lot of oncology care programs, a lot of hospital care programs. And in my mind, I think that, you know, if my loved one had a heart attack, I would want them to see a cardiologist. My loved one has a lot of medications. I want a pharmacist on that care team managing that because they're seeing multiple different doctors that are prescribing multiple different medications. And especially when there's a lot of different drugs on board, um, this genetic information becomes more and more important. So it's been a very, very long time trying to get the education out there. I am pretty excited right now. Uh, Swalwell and Emmer in Congress are introducing legislation in January, the Right Drug Dose Now Act. Uh, that among other things would allocate funding to improve education for healthcare providers and patients around this. Uh, because I think again and again, when people in this field are like, why isn't this standard of care yet? Uh, one of the big gaps is we just have not invested in the necessary education to get it out there. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I forgot to ask, how did you two connect? Because I know you're not in the space of um, uh, Christine, um, a pharmacist or in the clinical space, like actually working with patients. So um, how did you guys end up connecting with each other, if I may ask? Sure. So I don't um, provide clinical uh, information, but I have had the opportunity over the years, anytime a patient uh, reaches out uh, with a lot of uh, either a great story to tell or a lot of frustration, they typically get kicked up um, to someone in management. And so anytime we had a story or a question about something, um, it, it, I had the opportunity to connect with a lot of people. And frankly, I keep both Tom Carlson and other patient stories in my inbox and go back to them anytime I get frustrated to remind myself why I keep pushing so hard after over 20 years to make this standard of care. I know we, we appreciate that. And then uh, like, again, we appreciate Tom actually opening, um, you know, being open and sharing a story, but why, so you think, you know, educating and having those of, um, that you mentioned the right drug dose now act, uh, allocating funds for the education. Do you think that's going to solve the problem, uh, Christine? Well, it will partially solve the problem that also allocates um, funding towards, um, in addition to the educational campaign, to your point, updating the electronic health records to incorporate drug gene interactions. Uh, I would say that we would also want that extended to pharmacy software. But right now, in order to get credit for being an electronic health record, you have to check for drug-drug interactions. So the FDA and drug development guidance for decades has stated that drug gene and drug-drug interactions are equivalent. Again, they have these prodrugs to make people as if they are poor metabolizers. Um, and yet we do not incorporate standard drug gene interaction checking uh, within the EHR. And we have been putting uh, discrete pharmacogenetic results in EHR for a very, very long time, just like other lab results. And this information can be utilized to make sure we can avoid the situations that Tom shared with us, like flagging if you're about to prescribe a medication that is not optimum based on other drugs the patient is taking or their genetics, uh, and making that information easy uh, and accessible within the workflow of the providers uh, is another thing that is 
um, part of this legislation that I think will really help. Um, so not making them think too hard about how to make the right decision for the patient. Yeah, that, that's well said, not making them think too hard, but I, I get it because they don't have a lot of time that they can spend with um, with a patient. So I get that. Um, well, Tom, do you have, um, um, do you, like, how are you trying to educate your clinicians or patients? Because I know you don't see doctors every day. Um, hope not, but how are you, you know, educating on your end as a patient? Because it's one thing when we talk about uh, PGX and what it does and how it's valuable for patient, but it's another to have you as a receiving end kind of going through the challenges and struggles and things like that, or with your family members, you know, uh, you know, having the word out there. So how are you educating um, clinicians or the people around you right now? Well, um, my friends would tell you I've bombarded them with uh, emails over the last 15 years that they should get tested and trying to educate them on, uh, on various aspects of this. And when I go to my local pharmacist, I have a extended conversation with them. And uh, same when I go to hospitals or uh, to my, my providers. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have a bigger megaphone, but um, um, hopefully my advocating here will help. Oh yeah, for sure. No, um, we 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 can be your megaphone, but if you have um, you know other people around you that have a really good story to share, uh, you know this is a good platform for everyone to hear because our audience is mostly pharmacists and pharmacy students. And we have others as well, but this is a great platform. I know before the show kind of starting up, we were talking about your something that was frustrating to you. I know you mentioned a lot when you spoke, but um, if you want to talk about, you know, your frustration and give a specific example, of what was going on, we would love to hear it. Yeah, well, I get the best analogy that that I can come up with is to how important this is. is you know, it's a gross exaggeration, but your body is almost like a car. You know, would you pour oil in your gas tank? Of course not. It would it would gum up and ruin your car. It might total it. And it's the same thing with prescribing medications. It seems to me it, you have to know what the person's genetics are before you can prescribe them medications. And the other thing I've told friends is, it's the best money they'll ever spend because the test results last a lifetime. If you're a parent, your kids might have the same problem. You can tell your relatives. Um, and it not only reduces pain and suffering and speeds up healing, but it lowers your own cost of healthcare. You know, if your doctor can get it right to the first time, you don't have to uh, have multiple visits to the doctor's office. You're not spending extra days in the hospital. Uh, you know, you don't have wasted drugs in your in your uh, bathroom, what have you. It's just 
it's just so much more efficient to get tested and then use uscript software and and do it right the first time and the other thing i'm going to say is uh and i'm not a pharmacist pharmacist but i i've read stories of um young people you know going getting on antidepressants and committing suicide and there again i i based on my experience if if you're on the wrong one it can make you worse and so That's it's true. just really important to get things right the first time yeah i'm uh, glad you brought that up i actually it, it came out a few years ago but i was doing some research for a presentation on pharmacogenetics and psychiatry and there was a publication that uh, came out of northern europe in which they looked at patients that had uh, committed suicide that were put on citalopram or escitalopram which is metabolized by CYP2C19. In patients that were poor or ultra rapid metabolizers uh, were much more likely to commit suicide. Um, I think almost 10% increase, um, like direct increase, um, you know, so greater than a 30% relative risk increase for suicide. And so when you talk about the repercussions of not incorporating this information, this is a real and avoidable adverse drug event. Um, you know, I, I think you, you hear all the time, you know, first do no harm. To Tom's point earlier, uh, almost 70% of uh, doctor's visits result in a prescription. And I think a lot of doctors are like, oh, well, if there's a problem, the pharmacist will check it, you know, and make sure that it's okay when they go to fill it at the pharmacy. That is a default I have heard from a lot of uh, different physicians, but this is information we should be getting proactively so we can avoid weeks and weeks and weeks of somebody being on a medication that is not working for them at all or being um, exposed to such high levels, it's causing more adverse effects than improvements. Uh, and I think it's, it's a very real issue uh, in psychiatry, in pain, in cardiology, as Tom spoke to. I am excited, um, you know, over the course of years, you know, Medicare local coverage determinations that came out last year did dramatically expand coverage for pharmacogenetic testing. So a lot of uh, patients that are on Medicare can now have um, access to this without having to pay out of pocket. It's certainly worth the investment, but I, I do think a lot about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, and I am concerned that, you know, some people with less funding may not have the ability to pay out of pocket for something that could really dramatically improve their health. And so I think it's also necessary that we make sure that insurance um, gets on board with covering this for patients as well. Christine has posted studies in her blog, um, which verify this, but in my opinion, the return on investment is just huge by getting tested. And, you know, we have this huge national healthcare expense that's bankrupting the the company, the, the country. Um, I just know, and the, and the studies back it up, that our cost of, of healthcare would drastically reduce if people could get tested. And the thing is, it's like insurance. You've got to buy it before you need it because it might take a week or two to get the uh, the test results back. 
I know there, there's a study that came out and um, they looked at the cost of non-optimized medications. And in 2016, the U.S. spent $528 billion on non-optimized medications. Uh, to put that in perspective, that is more than we spend on any chronic disease. It's more than we spent on the medications themselves. And although genetic variability is not the only factor contributing to that, you know, to Tom's point, even if we reduce that by only 10%, that's $52 billion a year. That would more than cover the cost of testing for patients that would benefit from it. Yeah, definitely. You guys, you know, I agree with all that. And Christine, you were talking about, you know, the physicians have, have it as kind of say, you know, they're going to catch the error at the pharmacy. We can, we, you know, we should, the system either flags or the pharmacist either catches it, but um, to, to kind of say it another way, not everybody gets their medication from the same pharmacy. Some people get it from multiple pharmacies. Some people get a few from local pharmacy and then also um, delivery system. So the systems, obviously, if they're different, they'll communicate. So we might not be able to, a pharmacist may not be able to catch that for that one reason. I mean, there's multiple reasons, but that that's one of them that, um, you know, we don't talk about. Not everybody gets their whole entire medication from one location. And so um, that's also key. But I didn't know all these, uh, um, you know, I knew all these facts, but it's kind of, you put in a nice perspective, both of you guys on, you know, how you think about it. It's, it's great. I appreciate that. I think for our audience, we need to know what that looks like in, you know, dollar amounts and what, what does that mean? Um, so if there's one thing, I mean, I love to have you guys, uh, um, you know, come back um, and we can continue the conversation and maybe um, Tom, if you know anyone else that would want to talk to us, but if there's one thing that you guys both want our audience, which is really pharmacists and also pharmacy students, they're still in school, um, want to know kind of what would that be? Well, uh, from my perspective, it would be, everybody should get tested. Because um, like I say, uh, the cost savings are enormous and it's not, not including all the pain and suffering you can prevent. And um, I know when we were at Mayo Clinic in 2005, they said their goal was to have every three month old tested within three years. And, and I know that hasn't happened for all kinds of reasons, but um, I just think it's that important. I would add um, for pharmacists, I have come to believe that pharmacists are the natural experts in incorporating pharmacogenetics into care. A lot of the patients that benefit are taking multiple medications that are prescribed by multiple um, prescribers. As you mentioned, Manaz, they're going to multiple pharmacies, getting stuff by mail. Uh, you know, I think polypharmacy, especially taking multiple medications, I think of it like a disease state. And if there is a specialist for the disease state that is polypharmacy, it is a pharmacist. And that includes understanding how these genetic factors dramatically impact response to medications and need to be utilized to optimize drug and dose selection for patients. So I would encourage any pharmacist or pharmacy student to make sure they are educated in pharmacogenomics, the impact it can have, 
uh, get additional certification if it wasn't well covered in your education. There are a lot of CPEs out there and programs uh, because this is going to become more and more important in clinical care. There are pushes federally uh, to start pushing this through the system. And this is really your chance to uh, use all of that education you have to really dramatically improve patient outcomes in clinical care. Well, I appreciate you both um, for coming on, and uh, I know probably we'll have uh, you know people have many questions for you both. Is it okay if they reach out to you, or what's the best place they can reach out to you both? I know, uh, Christine, you're on LinkedIn, so they can reach out that that way. But Tom, if people have questions, or they're you know people listening, I'm like, oh my God, my mom or my cousin went through that. You know, want to talk to Tom for support? Um, where can they reach you, Tom? If that's okay. Well, uh, I want to help people all I can. Um, unfortunately, I'm just kind of swamped with being an entrepreneur and things too. So um, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Um, I've thought about starting my own blog. Um, I, I don't know how much I can add to, to what I've already said, you know, it's just yeah important to get tested. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I like the blog idea. Yeah, yeah I really do. Well, yeah. I, I can chime in. I know that as a member of the Stripe um, steering committee, we will be um, reaching out to the patient uh, and healthcare provider and pharmacy community uh, March 24th, uh, I believe, is National Adverse Drug Events uh, Awareness Day. And um, we are going to be putting out some information so that patients and providers can share stories about either um, a, an adverse drug event that impacted them that could have been avoided or a change that was made that, you know, hopefully improved their outcomes. So we are going to be asking uh, patients and providers to really share those stories to elevate um, the message of how this can truly impact patients. That'll be awesome. Um, looking forward to it. Tom, I've got to I've got to add one more thing. Oh, uh, please. I I do not understand why this is not mandatory knowledge for a physician to know. Um, why isn't it mandatory and continuing medical education. I mean, what, like, you know, when 70% of what they do is prescribe drugs. I, I, it just it blows my mind. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I agree. Uh, hopefully we'll get there, but I know it's, it's a very slow process and it's um, not right, but we'll get there. Hopefully with uh, Christine doing what she does best and you advocating and still educating and myself and the podcast and everyone else, um, it, the message will come across for hopefully at the end of schools, whether it's MD, nurses, pharmacists, whatever, whoever has prescribing rights, they have to have that piece embedded in their curriculum. And part of their CE is a mandatory. I completely agree, Tom. I would say though, to uh, Tom's point earlier about uh, the car analogy though, um, when I think about it again, you know, physicians yeah, are that was brilliant, Tom. to diagnose diseases and pharmacists are really well trained in medication management. Uh, and I would say that although I do believe everybody should have additional education, 
I also think that we should incorporate pharmacists more into clinical care pathways into the team because they have far, far more training in medications than um, physicians will ever have the time for. And I really think that um, in my perfect world, a doctor would diagnose a disease and a pharmacist would determine the right drug or dose to treat it. Yeah, that's that's beautifully said. Yes, I, I would have to agree with that for sure. Well, thank you so much, Christine and Tom, for coming on the show. I hope to have you guys both back, of course. It's so different. We, we were talking, we were so different when we just have the idea of PGX. We talk about it and how it helps versus have actually patient go through the experience on the other side and seeing the outcome. So I appreciate you, Tom, for being open to sharing your story. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and make sure you do not miss any episodes. Don't forget to share this link with everyone so they can tune in and listen to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. There's no other place to go for all your PGX needs. We do a lot of PGXing on here. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We love to hear from you. You can visit us on pgx4rx.com to listen to all our episodes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.